Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, hustlers. We know that this 2024, the entrepreneurial journey is filled with challenges. An often overlooked aspect is the time-consuming task of processing payroll and managing government requirements. And did you know that the average admin spends a whopping 50 hours per month dealing with just government compliance? That's time you could be spending on growing your business, or let's be honest, taking a well-deserved break. But fear not, we got a game changer for you, introducing Sprout Solutions and their tailored solutions for MSMEs called the Payroll Starter. With Sprout Solutions Payroll Starter, you can finally reclaim your time and get your life back on track. Say goodbye to the stress of remembering tax dates or worrying about missed payroll runs. This bundle is designed to make your life easier and your business more efficient. And here's the best part. The cost starts just at 5,000 pesos per month for businesses with up to 10 employees. Yep, you heard that right. That's just 5,000 pesos per month. So why spend another minute routing in payroll paperwork when Sprout can revolutionize the way you manage your payroll and government requirements? Take the first step towards a more efficient business today. Visit sprout.ph slash payroll starter monthly 5k. If you missed that, don't worry. We have it in the description box of this episode. So click that too. And again, big shout out to Sprout Solutions because your time is too valuable to be spent on paperwork. Reclaim it with their payroll starter. Now let's begin this episode. The Hustle Share Podcast is brought to you by Union Bank Global Linker, a free digital platform that empowers Filipino MSMEs to digitize their business and go global. Sign up now at unionbank.globallinker.com slash hustleshare to get a free ebook on surviving COVID-19 for your business. Also by Tagcash. Spend, play, earn, and build a mobile wallet super app for your startup. Go now to hustleshare.com slash tagcash to apply and get your startup's mobile wallet. And Chatbot PH. Save time and effort for your business. Automate how your team does customer service, marketing, and key redundant processes. All by using a chatbot. Invest in your own chatbot now and use AI to run your business. Go to www.chatbot.ph So, so then... I really believe that if you want to get like massive learnings, you really need to put a lot, but you also need to be on a on an environment that really allows like that learning. Welcome to Hustle Share, the podcast that features the daily grinds of unique hustlers around the world to show not our differences, but that our hustles are very much alike. Now here's your host, Ronster Baithyong. Welcome to episode 89 of the Hustle Share Podcast. My name is Ronster, and I'm your host. And this episode is powered by Union Bank Global Linker, a free digital platform that empowers Filipino MSMEs to digitize their business. 
We are a proud affiliate of the Podcast Network Asia, but before we begin, we'd like to remind you that this podcast contains not safe for work language. So make sure there are no kids when you're listening to this. Because today we're going to be talking about the hustling with flowers. And today we'll be having the founder and CEO of flowerstore.ph, and his name is Saul Moya Cuesta. Now, this is a very interesting hustle because Saul did not have any prior experience selling flowers before. As a matter of fact, he took up aerospace engineering where he helped design aircraft and space-related services. Now, Saul took an early career pivot. When he did, now Saul did a big career pivot when he started doing consultancy work and exposed himself to business, which eventually led him to go all the way to the other side of the world to be Lazada's head of pricing and eventually their CFO. Now Saul is also going to share how he was able to take a leap of faith and build Flower Store where he was able to apply everything that he learned in her prior experiences. Now stick around till the end because we're going to be talking about pricing and his tips on how to properly do it. So if you're ready to learn the hustle behind Flower Store, let's begin this episode right now. Welcome to the latest episode of the Hustle Share Podcast. We are going to the land of Bella Ciao. So (laughs) I'm just kidding, but we're going to be talking about flowers today. And um, we're very excited because I don't know if this guy actually knows this, but you are our season finale for season three of Hustle Share. So welcome to the show, Saul Moya Cuesta of Flower Store. Woohoo! Well, Saul, welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you, Ron. Those are the flowers supporting us today. (laughs) Um, It's it's very interesting always to have uh, great because I've seen you guys for a while. I won't tell how. But I've been seeing you for a while. It's like, wow, this, this is a very, very interesting business model. Um, but before I ask you the, the million-dollar question that I always mm-hmm. ask, um, this, one, one thing that I really loved about what you guys do, because I also worked in an online flower shop somewhere in my <laughs> hustle in between my jump uh, to, to being an entrepreneur. What I did was all these orders that came in from the site, uh, gets passed to me, and it's my job to look for a local florist who would do the, the, the order. So my flower game, my my Oriental Lily game, and my mom's and uh, my gerberas are on point. <laughs> so you still remember all of them. Yeah, hey, it works. Weird. When you're trying to court the girl, it works if you know your flower game. It really impresses yeah. them. Okay, yeah. so Saul, before I get the carried away, what's your hustle? Well, so my hustle is is flower store where we are really like uh, focused like on making uh, flowers and gifting affordable for everyone. Wow. Okay. And again, I've I've, I've lived this life for a good couple of months <laughs> before I decided to join uh, my, my one of my earlier jobs, Groupon. <laughs> right. So I am very familiar in in what this is. But <laughs> before we do that, before we sell and talk about flowers, yeah. we need to go all the way back to España and go back and ride the hustle share time machine. Okay, we're back. Um, so, so I'm, I'm very curious. Mm-hmm. When um, growing up, where did you're obviously Spanish, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, what was growing up like? In um, you know, uh, given that you know, from a, a very uh, early background, did you have any inklings of mm-hmm. entrepreneurship no. going on? What was like? What was that like? Well, so, so actually, like I'm just like 
from a kind of a small city in, in Valencia, in Spain. Like, oh, okay. From the beginning, I had like a kind of a very normal mid-class uh, life, but it's true that we have like a family business. So I think mm -hmm. we sell like construction materials, but okay. so I think that that may have kind of influence because for example, I remember like spending there like all Saturdays and summers uh, helping when I was already like 12 years old, like till 18, just like to make some money and not wow. to need to ask like for my parents to anything. Have always been kind of a bit of independent in wow. that sense that have mm. always wanted to do the things by myself. So mm. I think that this may be like one of the things that now when I look in, in perspective, I'm like, this may have been like one of the reasons why I have yeah. always wanted to start something by myself. Got it. Now, I'll just do a deep dive a little bit about mm. uh, growing up in Spain and hustling mm. in Spain. So you said two things. Uh, first one is you had a family business, right? And again, mm. uh, our early exposures to businesses are very, very influential, whether we like it or not. So Andrew, your <laughs> yeah. good friend, Andrew Koger, uh, who was here a couple of episodes ago, also had the same experience. His dad was in, uh, you know, uh, in a business and somehow, mm. some way, it rubbed off on him. For you, what did you see that your parents did? in the family business, that you see that, you know what, uh, I ended up actually doing a lot of those things that I saw growing up. Yeah, I think like it's the matter of the constancy and the hard work at the end. There is nothing that, that comes up like easy and mm -hmm. that for anything that you need to build and so on, you're going to need to put like a lot of effort itself. Right. So I think that this is something that I have really like kind of learned from the family business. But on the other hand, I, for example, there were, I, I really didn't like, like, for example, living on a small city. And that's mm -hmm. what I always told like, my parents that, no, I don't want to continue with the family business because mm. this looks like too small for me. I, I really want to do like more things. Got it. Now, and, yeah, and that's what a lot of uh, the big entrepreneurs really go mm -hmm. for. It's ambition. Um, <laughs> do you remember, or do you have, is there a certain influence that where, where, that ambition came from because again we it's either we we fall in love with what we already have mm -hmm. at, at growing up or that is there's something that triggers that like hey you know what i want to i really want to make it out i actually think that that ambition has been growing much much later i think mm -hmm. that so for me when it arrived like already for example like the age on choosing uh, to go to the university mm -hmm. uh, for example i didn't even have like very clear uh, what to study uh, but for example, because I was like pretty good like with numbers and so on, mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I will just choose something that can really allow me later like to do almost anything because right. I didn't want to do one of the generalist things that later have like 2,000 people that has studied exactly the same and have difficult right. to find a job. So I was still kind of on that stage. Yeah, and that's amazing. And again, I'm gonna stalk you in LinkedIn. So hopefully, LinkedIn if again, if you're if you're listening to this, please sponsor us. We've been flexing you since season one. Okay, <laughs> all right. So um, LinkedIn, uh, you, it shows here that you took up a master's degree in aerospace engineering. You're the first dude that I've ever met who's done that. Um, and you know, did this is that also your undergraduate studies? Yeah, well, so because in Spain, actually, this was still like the old program. So okay. basically, it was five years of studies that okay. it's like the equivalent of the undergrad plus master's degree. Oh, so wow. Kind of all in one. 
right away. But actually end up end up being six years of my life. That's crazy. Now, what do people who take up again? This is not, and you said it right. Um, this is not normal per se. Um, when you did study this, what was it like, and what were you guys trying to build in terms of an aerospace engineering that I guess down the road till now you still are able to uh, to apply? Yeah. Well, so basically, it was like the very first three years is kind of very focused on maths, physics, aerodynamics, oh, and basically <laughs> numbers, numbers, and, and more numbers. Right. And then during the last two years, you already make like an specialization. So there was, for example, one of the specialties was airports. Actually, mine was design. So I did the aerospace uh, vehicles uh, design uh, specialty. So basically, here was like a lot of uh, basically knowing how to uh, design from a, sp- a spaceship to a <laughs> wing to any kind of uh, element in a that should fly. Wow. I hope you help us upgrade my hustle share time machine if you want. <laughs> it, it needs to be upgraded for season four. Okay. Now, after, after this, uh, there's just one. I'll just sidestep a little bit. Um, and again, because uh, there's some stigma about uh, the Spanish way of doing things because there's this thing called siesta. When you <laughs> hustle in Spain, what is it like? And how big of a factor is that siesta thing in here? Because again, uh, it can be twisted and turned, but most of the time that say people uh, that, uh, that uh, uh, people that are saying that siesta is bad or you know the manana mm-hmm. habit uh, are, is bad are people that are not Spanish. So can you <laughs> shed some light on how this well, is properly part of it? I think like the siesta, as you mentioned, is more like also as a stigma and as a publicity. Because, right. for example, for me, I, I will do siesta just if I'm on holidays. But on mm. normal days, it's something that uh, you will never do. Maybe like in the south of Spain that is yeah. uh, hot, like during summer. Yes, mm-hmm. there are people, especially if they work on some physical work, that they kind of rest like for these hours after lunch. I mm-hmm. think that as long as you can uh, do it like with your job or not. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, I haven't really been able like to like to do siesta a lot in my in my life. Except yeah. like Saturday or Sunday. Especially <laughs> if you're trying to build spaceships or <laughs> airplanes. There's no room. So again, whoever is listening and still remember the stigma, this old school stigma, there you go. This It does not exist, okay? We're no, no longer... I, I'm not saying that it doesn't exist, but it's not that, like it applies like to every Spanish uh, person. It's like, yeah, most of us would love to do it, but mm. it's not really that embedded uh, in the culture uh, anymore. That's correct. So, okay. All right. And again, uh, again <laughs> sometimes being naive and being, and again, there's a Spanish influence in the Philippines <laughs> can never be... Uh, removed, right? You see, you see, have, have, and yeah. again, that's probably one of the one of the ones that stick till now. So I'm glad mm-hmm. to know that it's no longer a thing. Um, mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to hustling, right? I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure after you uh, graduated, you did uh, 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 your one of your first jobs was into aerospace uh, engineering. Mm-hmm. What was the first hustle you did, and what did you do there? Yeah, so, well, as I think like most of the people that finish this this degree, basically, I went to Airbus. Because you like the two biggest ones are like you either go to Airbus or you either go to Boeing. So okay. I went to Airbus because it was the European one. 
Mm -hmm. And I was working actually on a material, so we were on the material uh, department, so we were kind of uh, materials and structures. So we Mm -hmm. were kind of trying new things, uh, trying new structures and so on, doing just tests. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the hassle was uh, most like on really, uh, you were getting like already a list of potential candidates and it was all about test, 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 uh, until you find that a small one that makes like an improvement of 0.1%. But so I like a bit of it at the very beginning, but at some point after six months, I was like, "Mm, this is like pretty boring. Like I I don't really see myself like working on a laboratory, like for not even for one year, just doing the same to end up having like a, kind of a small improvement of uh, in in uh, the fuel consumption of right. 0.1%. It's mm-hmm. it's not really what I was what I was looking for. Gotcha. So for me that was kind of the end of my aerospace like career mm. after 6 months on on Airbus wow. but because I still didn't really know what I wanted to do uh, mm-hmm. was when I want I moved just to consulting basically yeah. because I knew like about consulting about yeah it's like this uh, hard work also mentality but mm-hmm. the learning curve is very good you mm-hmm. have really like a lot of exposure like to like to business and so on mm-hmm. so that was like the basically like the main reason why i moved to consulting was because i really didn't know what i wanted to do and okay. by that time i was already like 24 25 okay. years old now, how big was the adjustment? Because you said there was a learning curve, but it was good. Um, what are the things that, you, of course, if you spend six of years of your life trying to build a certain, um, you know, uh, a certain career path, and then you do all of a sudden a pivot, what was that like? Because I'm pretty sure there's a lot of adjustments that you had to, because a lot of the things you studied all of a sudden cannot be applied right away, right? How was that like? Yeah, well, so basically, like, uh, like, of course, like the first months, I was like a bit of mm, this is like completely different to anything mm-hmm. that I have that I have done. But I still think like coming from an engineering background, like okay. all these uh, analysis, because at the end, kind of all in everything in life is like you have a problem, mm-hmm. you analyze it, and then you find different solutions on how to attack it. Okay. You attack it, and based on the results, you either go back to to make another another solution or you continue evolving so i think that kind of this background like to solve problems mm-hmm. and that's why also in consulting there are a lot of engineers okay. uh, i think that 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 helped a lot but of course was like a very big uh, change especially also like on the more on the deal of how to prepare things like to present like to a client because for mm-hmm. example things like that was something that I had never done in my life. It's like, right. yeah, I've done like a lot of calculations, but I really miss like a lot of these soft skills, like of how to deal like with clients, mm-hmm. how to uh, how to kind of, from organizing a focus group like with people or how right. to, you know, all these kind of things, how to sell projects. It, hmm. Yeah. All right. Now let's take our first break. And when we come back, we'll talk about how you still uh, improved as a consultant. Because you did this for a while, right? Um, (laughs) But let's talk about that more after. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey guys, I have a very, very exciting opportunity I want to share with you guys. If you're a B2B startup founder, listen up. Your ticket to growth is here. Introducing Impact 24, the Philippines' largest B2B SaaS challenge. Calling all startups in their pre-launch, pre-seed, or seed stages. This is your chance to accelerate their growth. Submit your pitch to Impact 24 and get ready for a 10-week intensive program to elevate your solution. What's in it for you? How about up to 500,000 pesos in MVP project support, exclusive credits from industry partners, personalized mentoring, and a shot to pitch at SASCON PH, the country's biggest SAS conference this April. But yo, you gotta hurry up because submissions close on January 26, 2024 already. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your startup to new heights. Apply now at saschallenge.ph that's sasschallenge.ph. And good luck, and I'll see you guys in Impact 24. The break. And we're back from the break. We're still with Saul uh, of Flower Store. So, again, Saul, uh, before the break, you said again, there was a learning curve, and you were able to then adapt the skills because some of it are, applies, especially the engineering, um, uh, you know. Uh, Things that you things. What the hell am I saying? <laughs> the, yeah, like uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Correct, correct. Uh, but what are the things that you had to learn that did not apply, and how did you learn them? Because these are the things that uh, you know you'd have to really uh, again educate yourself again. Hmm. Yeah. So, for example, like the one of the most things that I didn't have like any clue was like really about how to present things like to a to a client mm-hmm. or even like from how to do like interviews with uh, experts mm-hmm. or even like how to talk in public, like not oh, just wow. like to, to a client, but like how to do like, we were doing, for example, uh, from an HR point of view, we were going like to a business schools and so on, like to present. Mm-hmm. And they always were bringing like these junior people like to present how it will be like if they join. So mm-hmm. imagine for me, like in my first year there, I was like, I'm like super shy, like to go and talk in front of 100 MBA uh, students. Wow, uh, how my experience is. So right, I right. think like these these kind of things were really like the ones that I was uh, missing the most. But yeah. at the end, you kind of learn by doing and okay. a bit like by imitation also because mm-hmm. at, on the first presentations that you go, you don't talk, but you mm-hmm. also see how like the your superiors and your your colleagues also like interact like with people and mm. it's just a matter of slowly like uh, learning by doing 
Okay. I think. Now, are there specific people or specific guys that really helped you uh, through the learning curve, right? You said the, the, yeah, the colleagues so. were there, the superiors were there. And again, our very first uh, people that we work with are very, very influential on in how we do our stuff, right? So who are those for you yeah, and what, so. did you, what did they teach you? So for me, like from these people, like in, in consulting, so basically I have a circle still like of six, seven people that I, I still like go on like regularly, like discuss problems oh, when wow. I'm in Spain go to visit, uh, discuss. And really because I think I was very lucky, like mm-hmm. we're uh, falling like with the, with the people that I felt because we were kind of a, a small team that also... Mm-hmm. Of course, like you work a lot <laughs> I mean, in consulting. I remember like doing like this 100 hours a week uh, without any without any problem. But then, of course, you bound like a lot uh, and then you also push each other like a lot. And then, you know, like uh, everyone has kind of passed like through that, that different steps and mm-hmm. they are now teaching you and showing you everything they kind of know. And then later it's going to be you. So there were kind of these mentorship programs in which you will always also be looking like for the interns. So everyone kind of evolves like at the, at the same pace. All righty. Now I have a question. Now, how did you end up wanting to go to the other side in Las Islas <laughs> Filipinas, right? Like Ferdinand Magallanes, right? Uh, Magallanes. How, how did that opportunity happen? Because you were doing well as a consultant. Yeah. Well, how did so, you end up in the Pacific? So basically, when after being like around like three years on the in consulting, so I had done already like lots of projects, lots of industry, but I was feeling like my learning curve had kind of stopped. So for my first years, I really learned like a lot, but at some point I felt that I was not learning that fast uh, anymore. Mm-hmm. So so then. I really believe that if you want to get like massive learnings, you really need to put a lot, but you also need to be on a, on a environment that really allows like that learning. So because of that, I was really, I started like considering other options, other opportunities. And because I was looking kind of for these massive returns or these massive learnings, uh, I started looking for what are like the circumstances that really can enable this. And so then I started looking like, okay, I think that I need to move to Asia, basically, Mm. because it's like where all the growth uh, is coming. And also I think that I need to move like to internet sector. Because from the ones that I have seen, internet was the one with the biggest uh, growth uh, potential. Mm. So uh, these were like the two kind of things that I was looking for, uh, Asian internet. And basically, in this consulting company, we were a specialist on pricing. So basically, I had been doing like a lot right. of pricing doing. So I started looking like for these roles in pricing somewhere in Asia and mm. somewhere in internet. I really didn't uh, didn't know where, mm-hmm. but it was funny because in my I have never been in Asia before. Uh, so my in Asia in my mind was kind of Japan, China, and Singapore. Okay. And okay. maybe Bangkok, that was like a bit uh, my idea that I had before. Mm-hmm. And then I remember that, so this was end of 2015. Okay. And I remember seeing on, on LinkedIn, like a, a position in a company called Lazada. 
that I was like, I check what is this? It was like, oh, a rocket internet company mm -hmm. doing e-commerce. And there was an open position of for head of pricing in Singapore. So oh. I decided like, I'm like, okay, this may be like uh, interesting. Mm -hmm. I remember applying three hours later, receiving an email saying like, oh, actually we have an open position uh, in Manila. Would okay. you be interested <laughs> like on, on uh, interviewing for it? I'm like, okay. Um, okay, let me first check a bit about uh, Manila, Manila <laughs> about Philippines, because I really, I, I was really like a total ignorant. Uh, wow, about it. you did like, not know about the Spanish influence. In no, Manila. well, of course, there right. were like four, four things I knew about the Philippines. I knew okay. that about the Spanish influence, that it was in the middle of the Pacific. Right. A lot that there are a lot of typhoons because it's kind of what you see <laughs> on the news. Because yes. on the news they don't show like the regular days; they just uh -huh, show uh -huh. when something big is happening. Right. Yeah. So that was an image in my mind, and then like there this is, is where the professor uh, <laughs> hid uh, yeah. in the casa de papel. <laughs> right. Yeah, and and basically that was kind of uh, all that I knew like about uh, about the Philippines. But then I remember like googling and so on, and it's like. Oh, well, it, it looks like somewhere I can I, I can do it. It's like, mm -hmm. so I remember when my mom was telling, uh, why are you going to the Philippines or when, for how long is this going to be? Right. I was telling, let me see. If I'll go there. I will see maybe one year, two years. I, okay. I don't know. So I made like the interviews and so on. And three weeks later, I was here. So Wow. Okay. <laughs> That's amazing. I actually didn't have a lot of time like to really even think about it. Uh, wow. But yeah, that was how, how I joined Lazada. So mm -hmm. this was uh, actually, I joined first week of January 2016. Mm -hmm. So this was still like, so Lazada was still in Makati, was not mm -hmm. still like on the fancy VGC. Right. And basically this was, and it was still like rocket internet. Wow. So Alibaba still didn't uh, didn't mm -hmm. exist. So like the kind of environment was mm -hmm. still way more startup way. Got it. So I still remember being in the office in Makati uh, that at 6 p.m. you would have mm -hmm. like aircon that you had one person sitting every 50 centimeters one of each other. <laughs> so it was wow. still like <laughs> another style. Mm -hmm. Now, I have a question. How big was the adjustment for you? Because again, I've seen a lot of former Rocket guys who, who, who were in the show. Again, uh, some took it well, some took a while, mm -hmm. right? Um, for you, being Spanish, and how mm -hmm. surprised were you of how, how a prominent still the Spanish influence in our culture is here in the Philippines? And did I that did, help? I actually, yeah, I actually adapt very well. I think that uh, Filipinos have like a part of this Latino uh, yes. attitude and mentality and so on that mm -hmm. it's I think is more similar to to us than any other country in, in right. Asia. So right. I think like this way of kind of uh, helping each other, talking with people uh, mm -hmm. and so on. I think that that this is still very similar to Spanish. So I think that that also really enabled me like to to adapt uh, and really like it. A lot when when I arrive here. Are they be, are their behaviors of how consumers uh, react or, or work that are still very Spanish influenced the way you look at it? Because uh, in, yeah. in like for example, Coca Cola. I remember working with them before. Philippines does not fall into the Asian region. It's it's mm -hmm. fall, it's falling into the Latin American region because yeah. of those again tendencies. 
what are those things that you see coming from a Spanish point of view? It's like, oh, ooh, wow, that's still very Spanish, right? Were yeah, there I differences? I mean, uh, tendencies? Yes, I think, for example, like the Filipino is like very emotional. Oh, and man. I think, and, and very passionate <laughs> and so on. I think that this is something that it's, when you compare with the rest of Asia, is something that really doesn't exist in the other countries. Mm -hmm. While here is, uh, I think that that is very similar like to Latin American and also like to mm -hmm. Spain. Wow, that I didn't know that. So now I know why <laughs> Filipinos spite on Facebook. All the time. It's your Spanish influence, right? <laughs> all right, down there. Okay, now um, when you said talk about, let's talk about pricing here, right? Yeah. And this is a, what a lot of startups fuck up on, a lot, right? Because uh, if you don't do pricing right, you don't do your unit economics right, yeah. you're gonna get fucked up, you know? Because <laughs> it's already hard to close clients, right? And if you're pricing your competitors or especially you're coming into a red ocean per se, it's going to be different. How did you apply what you've learned in, in your consultancy work and uh, mm -hmm. in the aerospace uh, engineering work straight out to Lazada and make an impact yes. there? Yes. So basically when I joined Lazada, so I joined as the head of pricing. So Lazada has like two different kinds of products. So you, you have like the products that are bought by Lazada and sold by Lazada. Okay. And then you have like all the marketplace part. Mm -hmm. So for all the products that were sold by Lazada, uh, this was like our responsibility to price mm -hmm. them. So then basically what we have like two main KPIs. So one of them, we will need to scrape all the internet to look if that product was being sold on any other competitor to wow. at least have like that idea and make sure that no one is uh, earning market from us. Also, yeah. because on those days, kind of profitability uh, inside Rocket Internet was still not like the right. <laughs> main focus, was more on growth. being competitive and, er yeah. and growth at yeah. uh, any cost. Mm -hmm. uh, so basically, our main KPA was make sure that we are competitive. So it's like you cannot be uh, you cannot be selling anything more expensive than any other e-commerce player. You need wow. to be always like that because you really need to make people know that every time they want to buy something affordable, you are gonna be like the like the best option. Mm -hmm. So in order to to really have that mentality, you need to to keep pushing. So this yeah. was really like our, our main kind of job there, yeah. <laughs> scraping the entire, all the players in e-commerce in the Philippines mm -hmm. to have like updated uh, all, all the thousands and thousands of products, wow. uh, really know uh, what were their price and really kind of price them in real time. So now, how do you the, even make sure that you get all those things right? Because again, I can imagine hmm. there's thousands and thousands of SKUs. Yeah. And how do you make your that job? Of course, there's crawlers already on yes, how so to scrape and whatnot. But at the end of the day, you still have to pull that this pull that trigger as the one as heading the pricing. Hmm. What was that method like? Yeah, so basically what you first need is like to have like all the data. So a lot of the job was really like about the scraping uh, okay. internet and getting the prices for first you needed to match like product to product. Mm -hmm. And then later what you needed to get is like, okay, if it's like a, a small change on a product that doesn't have an impact, you can let the algorithm changing automatically. But if it's like in a product that is one of your best sellers and there may be an error or something, you mm -hmm. still kind of need to check. So basically you do like through algorithms and through rules, 
like mm. different ways on on how to minimize human interaction, but still playing it safe and making sure that you don't uh, fuck it up like on on one of these automations uh, fast. Correct. Now, after this, uh, you you also transitioned right away to VP of Pricing and Business Intelligence. How did that role, uh, you know, diversify and how did you move up the ladder in that that role all the way to CFO? Yeah, so basically because when I started already in pricing, I started getting like in control like of a lot of data. And basically okay. like it's, it's what I was more in dealing. At some point, like the, that current uh, person that was leading BI was moving like to, to another department. Mm-hmm. And the CEO just told me like, hey, in addition to pricing, why don't you also take over like the like all business intelligence because you are already like kind of familiar with the, with data and so on. I'm like, okay, why, uh, why not? Okay. Uh, so that was kind of the, my second step in, in Lazada where I started like basically working with anything mm-hmm. that was like data related. That is mm-hmm. like a lot of projects. And yeah. I really loved that because it was uh, working with a lot of different teams, a lot of different, uh, with the CEO in a lot of different projects that because at the end, all the main decisions always require like data and require like numbers and models and so on. And this was really where I was. So there was one part that was kind of preparing like reporting and so on that mm-hmm. for that was like kind of most of the team was doing. But then there was like a part of the team that was really focused on these special projects. And this was part of the, of the things that I was dealing more on my, on my day to day. That is amazing. Now, how's the team like? So when you have that, you're, you're head of this team, who are the people that you, you surround yourself with in that? And then uh, what was that transition like in, from Rocket to... Mm-hmm. Alibaba, right? Because I'm pretty sure, yeah. you know, there was a stark difference of how things were changed. Again, KPIs would change, everything. <laughs> but who was yeah. the team and how did that team evolve uh, through that transition? Yeah, so at that point, uh, here locally, we were like a team of 10 people. Okay. But then we had like a regional team uh, also that we also worked together that they were like probably like 100 people because these were like the ones that were really kind of preparing like all the infrastructure and all the things that later we will be able like to to access like from a country point uh, point of view so we had like also like a few of different profiles like within the team like from pure it to a bit more data science uh, profiles mm-hmm. uh, but then and then yes here was like when already kind of this was when the first uh, investment of Alibaba came in uh, and still not a lot of but so then when what I saw that happened was like a bit also more of focus on uh, stability and on mm. security so mm. like the, they started investing like on doing like the infrastructure much more robust mm-hmm. uh, and also at the same time like for example I remember at the very beginning I will have uh, access to connect to kind of any database and any table on the on the company so i will be able to check anything and then of course at some point they will start like setting like limitations so depending on your role you will just have access to kind of this if you require access to something a bit more critical you will need like to ask for permission so all on all on this kind of security and to also to ensure that no data is kind of leaked like to competitors 
or mm -hmm. something. It, it's something that I saw much more maturity on the business with, mm. with this change like from, from Alibaba. Got it. All right. Now let's take our last break and a little talk about Flores after this. But let's <laughs> talk about that more after the break. Hey, Hustlers, it's time to talk business once again, and we're excited to share a bit more info about our sponsors, Sprout Solutions. And again, just like what I said at the start of the episode, you should check out Sprout's Payroll Starter as you grow your own startup. Because this bundle that they have is literally what you need to take your startup to the next level as you grow your employees. And this bundle is your key to freedom, including payroll outsourcing to experts, a subscription to timekeeping and attendance software, and government compliance services. Sprout's Payroll Starter has you covered for payroll, BIR, SSS, and taxes. All the stuff that no founder loves to do. So let Sprout handle the busy work and say goodbye to lines and tax payment stress. All this for as low as 5,000 pesos. Again, that's just 5,000 pesos all in for your payroll and HR needs. So visit sprout.eh payroll-starter-monthly-5k or again, just click the link in the description box of this episode to elevate your business management game. And again, big thank you to Sprout Solutions liberating your time for what truly matters. Hey hustlers, wish there was an easy way to open a bank account and grow your money without the hassle of lengthy application process and income documents? Well, I got good news because today's sponsor, Uno Digital Bank, is here to help you achieve your financial goals. You can easily open an account with the Uno app in just five minutes and one valid ID. And as one of the six digital banks licensed by the Banco Central ng Pilipinas, the company is committed to providing customers with simpler, better, and more accessible banking. Last year, Uno Bank was recognized by the Asia Banking and Finance Awards and bagged the title Open Banking Initiative of the Year due to the success of its partnership with Gcash, one of the Philippines' leading mobile wallet platforms. And with the Uno mobile app, you can access an hashtag UnoReady savings account and enjoy daily interest crediting. With their hashtag UnoEarn or hashtag UnoBoost time deposit accounts, you can enjoy a high interest rate of up to 6.5% per annum. Enjoy monthly payouts with hashtag UnoEarn and flexible tenors with hashtag UnoBoost. Other app features include pay bills, the Uno Virtual Debit MasterCard, life insurance, scan and pay with QRPH, and phones. And the one thing that I really love about Uno Digital Bank is they're open to collaborate with a lot of Filipino startups. I've had a chance to see the partnerships that they've had lined up with the startups that they have, and it's truly exciting to see how a digital bank like Uno can enable startups to unlock the power of fintech through digital banking. So if you're ready to elevate your banking experience, download the Uno mobile app today from the Google Play Store or App Store. Or if you want to collaborate with them, I'll be happy to give you an intro. Just shoot us an email at hello at huffleshare.com. Hey, Hustlers, I hope you're having a great 2024 so far. As you know, a lot of startups had a very challenging 2023, and hopefully things are going to do better this year for a lot of us. Not just because it's the year of the dragon, but also because our sponsor, Dragon Pay, is here to help your startups process payments in the most efficient way. Established in 2010, Dragon Pay empowers businesses of all sizes to accept and disperse payments through secure and convenient channels, giving your customers the flexibility to choose the payment method that suits them best. With over 85 partner channels, 35,000 partner branches nationwide, including QRPH, e-wallets, crypto, 
buy now, pay later, and many more. They also process an astonishing 15 million transactions processed globally each month. DragonPay is your trusted choice for online payments. And here's something to show you how legit DragonPay is. DragonPay was named FinTech of the Year at last year's Philippine FinTech Festival in 2023. So let's make 2024 extra prosperous for you and your startup in this year of the Dragon. For more details, head on over to dragonpay.ph. That's dragonpay.ph. Trust the pioneer, trust DragonPay. And we're back. We're still with Saul of Flower Store. But before we, we discuss Flower Store real quick, um, what was the turning point? So you're already CFO and DPO in Lazada, taking care of such important data. But hmm. what was the turning point for you there? All right. It's now time to go Geronimo and uh, <laughs> jump from the plane and build your own parachute as you're falling yes. and become an entrepreneur. What was that like for you? And because uh, again, uh, there's uh, your friend, good friend Andrew Coger, uh, had mm-hmm. had the same experience uh, a little bit. There, she said, "All right, I'm going to do my own stuff now." Um, mm-hmm. For you, what was that the experience? Yeah, so for me, it was I think like a little bit similar in the sense that I had already been like almost three years in Lazada. Mm-hmm. I have seen a bit of this uh, kind of transition from a a startup mentality to kind of a, a starting corporate. to be a bit more established corporate, mm-hmm. still early days of corporate, but a lot more of process and so on. And I kind of really, in one part, I, I also felt that my learning curve like was again like kind of stopping. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I need again something that really excites me like a lot. And I have also always wanted to do things by myself so i was Mm -hmm. like okay i think that it's probably a good moment to try it in the sense that i'm still young i have like a lot of energy Mm -hmm. Uh, if i do it and i fail uh, nothing happens i can always do uh, one step back or two step back and go back like to any company Mm -hmm. Uh, but i think like it's kind of the the best moment to try it like with the with the less risk so that's that was kind of my thinking on on how to why to to leave lazada at that point and then because i was like really like extremely bullish like about e-commerce i really love e-commerce and it because was what i have been seeing for three years and i strongly believe in it but mm-hmm. i also believe like about uh, southeast asia so i i thought that it was kind of the the perfect opportunity to to launch here so then, at the same time, I had seen that general e-commerce was already being taken. So yes, you have like right. Lazada, you have Shopee, you have mm-hmm. but I saw that there were like potentially in a lot of different verticals. So I think that there are a lot of these kind of needs still mm-hmm. that are really not covered uh, at all, like in the in in the region. Right. So that's how i started for looking like for different niches or different uh, verticals that i thought that really had like this potential to become like something really big at a at a regional level because the players that were kind of doing it is like yeah there were like a lot of players but i don't think that anyone was still like kind of doing it with the proper mindset and with the with the proper uh, attitude so that was like the like the reason on uh, why i started like with like with flowers and and the gift uh, vertical basically when i when i was looking into it i was seeing like 
players that were like selling at outrageous prices, mm. like for a bouquet. I was like, yeah. hey, why people uh, buy <laughs> this? It's like, because basically there is no other no other chance. And right. you, I will see like offline there is like a lot. It's like a, it's something that uh, really has like that demand. But mm. I thought that in the market was really not being properly uh, addressed. So mm. that's why I decided like to launch it like with our kind of uh, own mentality. But I mm. think that in that sense is a bit also influenced like by Rocket because our mentality is like on how can we really do like gifting uh, as affordable as possible. It's like we really don't want to go like to the A uh, market because mm. for this there are already a lot of overpriced uh, players that can uh, deal with them. We really want to go like to to the mass market where yeah. making it possible that anyone, uh, literally anyone can buy like a, a bouquet or some right. other gift like from, from our side. And, and that's true. And I remember again, I, I worked in that, uh, that flower shop that I talked about, right? Um, mm-hmm. I saw the margins. Oh my God, they're ripping people off into those type <laughs> of margins because again, yeah. I literally they're just taking the orders and whatnot and, and then yeah. and helping the other thing. Especially, then, yeah. Especially like with the with those players, like the one you were mentioning, that they right. are they are not even producing anything. They are just exactly. middlemen. Middle they, like, they just uh, put like a three X on the price that a florist will do it. Try to sell it on internet, and then they just uh, get the gain. So for me, this this is kind of ripping off like the customer. Right. And because there was like this market working like this, I really mm. thought that there was. Uh, the market like for someone doing things uh, properly and at least like fair like from a customer point of view that's correct and again going back the, the you said 2x 3x what they would do is they'll take the order from online you know have a picture of the the, the flower uh, arrangement what we'll do as an agent was look look for a local florist and say hey local florist i'll send you i sent you an email yeah. um can you do this all right, cool. <laughs> Do it. And yeah, then yeah. they won't even pay the florist in time. Oh my God. Yeah. Right? So imagine it's like, God, there's something wrong with this. But there's one thing that I remember that's still that's embedded through that experience in my whole life is that people think that, you know what, in flowers, flower shop, it's a seasonal business. Yes, but those seasons are, oh my God, because there's two seasons that I remember. Actually, 2.5, right? Uh, the first one is obviously Valentine's. But that's not the granddaddy of them all. Most people buy flowers when it's Mother's Day because not yeah. everybody is, you know, in, in a romantic relationship <laughs> anyway. But everybody has a mother, okay? Yeah. <laughs> and most of the time, the best gift always that people give is uh, is a bouquet or a pair of flowers. And again, the point five that I mentioned is also uh, during uh, All Souls Day, you know, during Halloween. Yeah. We'll try to get, but mm-hmm. the Mother's Day can compensate for the whole year's earnings already. I remember this mm-hmm. because I was processing hundreds and hundreds of orders per day. Now, uh, so, well, sorry, I just I got carried away because I remember yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that thing where I was like, "Fuck, this is not right." But holy shit, mm-hmm. that, that was amazing. But um, yeah. how did you build and how did you find this? Why flowers, right? Because yeah. I'm pretty sure you looked at the numbers. But you could have gone into other verticals that you said. But why flowers? Yeah, so we decided, like, actually, I decided, like, for for, for flowers, basically, because in the U.S., there was actually, like, a lot of big players. So there are players, like, doing over $1 billion uh, a year. Wow. Uh, so in terms of market, it's something that is big enough. 
Uh, another one was like, it's really a proven business model. It's not like uh, by seeing that there are 20, 30 competitors doing it at a small scale, that proves that the market exists. Because if there is like enough space like for so many, then you also see that offline, you go to any mall and you will always see like a, a shop selling, selling flowers and mm -hmm. people buying them. So this was actually like one of the indicators. Also was something that uh, has like the margins are big enough that you can do it like very affordable. You can go much lower than correct, and correct. still like a place like to breathe. So mm. we really thought that if we do everything by ourselves, we can bring like those margins down, but we can also be very affordable. Mm. And also because we saw that there was still no regional player, uh, not just in the Philippines, but at a regional level that mm. was really like uh, doing things properly. And we think that we can, that we can really be like the first one. So this was like the, like the reason for, for going like to the entire flowers and gifting uh, space. Okay. Now being CFO before and now being CEO, how's that experience mm -hmm. like? like? Because now uh, you can't just go in alone. I'm pretty sure you had co-founders. Yeah. Or you had to find other co-founders or the, the people that uh, needed you needed to help this uh, help start this business. What was that team like, and how did you guys uh, grow from the get-go? Yes, so when we were at the very beginning, like on the on the first days, basically we were on a very small office in Makati on a ten square meter room. What? We were like four people, wow. <laughs> so we were basically it was uh, it was me. It was one of my, my co-founder uh, that was doing like all the marketing part. Then we had a, a girl doing that cool talk, Tagalog, doing like all the all the CS. And wow. then I had a florist to prepare the bouquets. This was the, the entire team. That actually, was crazy. Uh, that, we wow. that we started. Okay. And now, how did you grow it? Yeah. So basically for us was very clear like to, to or very important to have like a very clear unique selling point mm -hmm. so for us we had very clear that our main selling point to a customer is that we have affordable prices and that we want to be like the most affordable in the market that's yeah. for me like the like the most important one and the way we are we are staying there uh, we are being there is because our scale really allow us like to to bring prices uh, down the second uh, thing because I have seen like a lot of that a lot of the players basically are like the ones that you were mentioning before that they wouldn't even have like the product then they need to find someone who can do it for us but in some of those cases it takes days for us I had very clear that I wanted to do like end to end and that mm -hmm. then we will be able to offer like to customers same day delivery but not right. just this but also that the customer can select at what hour they want it to be delivered so wow. for me this is this is very important because when you have like an occasion or something, it's like you yeah. cannot be the entire day just waiting when it's going <laughs> Imagine like, having a proposal and the flower never came on time. <laughs> yeah. You're going to so, be in so much trouble. So for me, in addition to this affordability, this was like the, like the second point was like, we need to be able to do like same day delivery, but mm. also that the customer selects when. And the third one was really like on enabling cash cash payments, mm. basically because we know that a Asia. lot of Filipinos uh, really don't don't have like a bank account and so on. So mm. really having like both cash on delivery, but also enabling like a new payment method uh, that it's cash pickup. 
because a lot of times if you, for example, are sending flowers to your girlfriend, mm -hmm. you cannot send it cash on delivery, obviously, for obvious reasons. But <laughs> <laughs> or let the girlfriend pay for the bouquets. You just ordered it for. So, but then uh, if you don't have a bank account, it right. cannot happen that you cannot do that order. So then what we will do is like, we will send one of the riders that are in your area to pick up the cash mm. from you and we will deliver to the other person. So it's right. kind of enabling the cash on delivery for this, uh, for this gifting space. Well, hey, it's 2020, you know, and there's COVID, so you can send the flowers and let the girlfriend pay for it. <laughs> I would try that next time for my fiance. Let's see where I sleep the day after. <laughs> okay, now, uh, Saul, you, you've obviously grown from that point of a four-man team and a 10-square-meter office. How did you grow and how did you generate tractions? What, and what are the things that you focused on to double down on uh, the things that you... you, you uh, you wanted and you cared about, especially the KPIs. Yeah, so for us, like our main focus uh, has been like on two parts. One of really like on doing the marketing and being able like to acquire customers at efficient costs. And here we brought like a lot of the of the learnings that we actually had like from, from Lazada. And on the second hand is really on the operations. It's like, okay, how are we able like to do like from the sourcing of the flowers till the delivery to the customers? Because we do everything from getting the flowers from the farmers till we deliver to your door. So how to do all of this on a, uh, how to have like both like the tech and the people like to ensure that these processes as fast as as efficient as, as possible so these are like the like the main two things that we have really been focusing on mm -hmm. and this really like what has allowed us like to grow on these two years basically like from these four people like to one now we are like above 150 people and we are actually both in in philippines and in vietnam so we are actually wow. in the two front. Now, my, my question also would be revolve around scaling overseas, right? Mm -hmm. It's easy, yeah. okay, when you say it's a blue ocean and you know your numbers well more than anyone I've had on the show, mm -hmm. so that's amazing. How were you able to adjust and do that in Vietnam and have the same, same, same success? Because is it, regardless of, you say, even mm -hmm. if you have that head start in a country and you become number one there in that, uh, in that country, you'll always come from somewhere down the bottom when you go to another country. How did oh, you yeah. do that in Vietnam? Yeah, so I, we actually felt that when we moved there was kind of, uh, I will say, like, not a total start because okay. you already have, like, some things. So, for example, you already have, like, the tech, like, the website. You know how to do it from a process point of view. Mm -hmm. But there are, like, a lot of things that are, like, completely different, basically, okay. because the taste from the taste from the local customers may not mm -hmm. be the same. And uh, I remember some of the our best sellers here, they were actually like not the best sellers there. Like the best sellers right. there were some other types and so on. Mm -hmm. So it's so it's also important really on having like uh, some uh, like a strong local team uh, yeah. that can really like understand like the like the particularities on the market. Because mm -hmm. for me, you need to have like a clear. Uh, what are like the things that you can share and for example mm -hmm. this is tech it's marketing approaches is like some operations but then there are some specific things like social media like assortment and so on that mm -hmm. needs to be really localized like to to the specific market uh, there 
So this has been, so in Vietnam, we have been now like one year and it has mm -hmm. been kind of, again, uh, a different learnings because there are a lot of things that right. we were doing here and they just didn't work there when we tried okay. them. And things that we had tried here and didn't work here that we have retried there and, and have worked. So we are now on this, on this kind of uh, best practice sharing and seeing how we can uh, being like multi-country, uh, mm. getting like the best output like for, for both of them. Got it. Now, in terms of management style, you mentioned there's best practices and whatnot. What's the management style that you have to put in when you're managing multiple countries already? Because, you know, it's not a one-size-fits-all. And again, uh, as you expound, okay. that's also a division of your attention. How do you make sure that you're empowering and you're still getting the maximum result from a leadership point of view uh, when you do that type of execution? Yeah, I think that it's very important like to let like the people that it's uh, running like the different departments and the different countries to let them like the freedom like to to take ownership to to do things to see if it works to see if it doesn't uh, but you cannot at this stage you cannot really be like micromanaging like each right. one of them telling each one of the things how to do you really need to be more like on a vision and mission point of view like telling like this mm -hmm. is where we will need to arrive like on this quarter these are kind of the things more like on addressing like the like the guidelines that you right. need to do but then really like on on letting like the like the builders build so you mm -hmm. you really need to to kind of supervise and really of course be on top and be pushing like to ensure that uh, each one of them is is giving like uh, as much as possible but i always believe on letting people like the freedom on, mm -hmm. on really like trying things by themselves also because i don't have like the like the answers to to all the questions Correct. so it's it, i believe that uh, most of the things are 50% is about common sense and maybe another 50% is trial and error. So with those two things, uh, you can really like uh, learn a lot by, by kind of just doing and seeing what are the results. That is amazing. That, that's actually my intro already with what you said. <laughs> so that's great. Uh, okay, now um, last question uh, before uh, we, we talk about uh, the, and pay it forward to the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Before, uh, just when the pandemic started, you mm -hmm. launched another venture. <laughs> and this is where I saw one of my friends on Facebook, I'm not going to mention who, uh, uh, share this. It's called minimart.ph. So aside from flowers, what are you guys going into now? This specializing, again, e-commerce is it's, it's your bread and butter because you know it by the numbers. And I, I, that's amazing. I'm learning so much from you. Yeah. But um, what are you now trying to do here with the minimart.ph and how, what are the things that you did in Flower Store that uh, were, was applicable in what you did here? Yeah, so basically like when the, when the lockdown started, uh, as I guess like a lot of companies basically we uh, suffer like from a supply chain total disruption yeah. so we were not being able like to get any flower and the problem is that being in the flower business if we don't receive flowers from the farm uh, basically that means that we cannot sell anything so when we were like not being able to sell anything my thought was like okay we still have like the the warehouse that if basically we are not producing it's empty also mm -hmm. like all the office part uh, we but 
we are kind of ready like to serve anything on the same day because it's what we do with the flowers. Mm -hmm. So for us really from an infrastructure point of view, it doesn't matter if it's flowers or what kind of product it is because we have the riders ready. We have like our tech that allow us like to, to send like the orders for the same day. So we were like seeing that during those days, like the big players like Last Mart, uh, Shopee Mart and everyone were kind of having like up to one week like to, mm. to deliver like the, the orders that people was really needed like during yeah. those days, like on the groceries because there was like a line mm. of one hour on the supermarket. We were like, okay, why don't we, why don't we, it's not pivot because basically for us was kind of an additional line uh, just because we couldn't do anything else. Uh, but this was kind of the of the reasoning because we had like the entire infrastructure ready. So for us, it will actually took me like one night to create a, a wow. new website. And then like in two days, like our tech team adapted like the backend like to our dispatch system. Mm -hmm. And that was how we how we got started like in the in the groceries. Basically, it was mm -hmm. because we had all the people also that if not couldn't work. And mm -hmm. this was also a way of ensuring that that at least we could provide like a continued work like for for everyone, like from from the production assembly team to customer service mm -hmm. and so on. That is amazing. That is great, great job. Yeah. Now, um, <laughs> before I let you go, I have a couple of questions because uh, again, I, I'm just trying to hold my job before it goes on the floor because uh, again, numbers is is the, the the meat and you know the 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 lifeblood of each company and. For those mm -hmm. startups who, are, who don't have your background, what are your tips in how to do proper pricing? Because, again, it can sound basic, but people fuck this <laughs> shit up a lot. What are, what are the tenets that they have to remember to make sure they yeah. do this right? Yeah, so for me, it really also depends on what is like the kind of market that you are trying to, to attack. So okay. for me, on the, if you are trying to attack to a premium market, what okay. is very important on pricing is about willingness to pay. You need mm -hmm. to understand how much like the customers are willing to pay because that way you will optimize like for, for this. How do you if know you that? Are, How so do you well, know you can do, yeah. So basically you can do like by test. You can test like with different prices and, and really see uh, in which ones they convert. You can also mm -hmm. do focus groups asking, showing a product saying what will be a price that it will be for you too cheap that you will doubt from the quality what price okay. will be like too cheap that you will buy it for sure what mm. price will be too expensive you wouldn't buy it so with this kind of of reasoning when you have like a lot of data you can drive like conclusion and so on but this is for me really like if you are going like to a kind of a premium market or to a mature market if you are really going like to a mass market for me, like the key, like on uh, if you really want to grow and you really need to scale, what you need to understand is like, okay, what is like the minimum price that will make me like not lose money? Or mm -hmm. well, or if you have plenty of investors that allow you to lose, uh, then you can see how much you can lose. But for me, this is like the most important question on what will be like my cheapest price not to not to lose money, mm -hmm. and then. Uh, Try to work on, on your process and so on to be able mm -hmm. like to, to reduce this or to find other things that can really... Uh, because I believe that for the mass market, you need to be affordable. So, so, this, is, so this is kind of our, 
obsession on how can we do like the things on a better way, like to reduce like our prices. So how can we get like, uh, how can we deal with new farmers that can produce more or that how can we kill middlemen or how mm. can we do like better production? So this is, for example, one of the things that we are trying to do, like because if you are able to reduce like your, your production um, cost like on each order, then you can decide it. Okay, I can translate later this money into the price, or I can uh, keep it in profits, like to invest in tech, for example, like to to reinvest. So for me, this is uh, what I would suggest, really, on either understanding how much customer is willing to pay, but also understanding um, if you are going to the mass market, what is like what uh, your unit economics really allow you. Like, mm -hmm. where do you need to stand at least not to lose money? And then between this, it's all about trade-off. It's like, mm -hmm. depending on the your strategy, if you are really looking for growth at all costs, mm -hmm. you are really looking for more of Margins. profit, like from mm -hmm. day one, like, there are, yeah, there are a lot of different strategies that, that you can really follow. Okay. But you just have to choose one path. Because yeah. yeah. most, most of the time, I've, I've seen startups also do like, okay, growth at all costs, but you also want margin, margin, margin. Or <laughs> it's like, what? What, you, the, what are you trying to do? Unfortunately, you cannot have it all. <laughs> right. And I always yeah. use this, uh, this analogy. Do you want to be rich or do you want to be king? Right? It's hard mm. to be both. When you're rich, you, know, you have to relinquish some of that control. You have to give up uh, some of that margin to, to get uh, that mm. growth you want. Or do you want to be king? You want to be the best at one, but again, yeah. there's only few that you can get, right? Yeah, uh, because, actually, yeah. On, yeah, actually, in that sense, I, I strongly believe, like for example, in the mentality of Amazon, is like that you need to be as affordable and as cheap as possible, and mm. then you need to work on yourself, like on how can you do things more efficiently to be able, like to you still need to make money, but mm. your money needs to come, like by you being more efficient on the right. on the things you do, not Never. on getting more money like from customers. And that's correct. And here's what I I, I always remember. Uh, there's this book that I, I read. It's called Blitz Scaling, right? Yeah. And, 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 <laughs> in different in phases, right? You can be growth at all costs at certain mm -hmm. point, and then you switch it up to uh, to margins, margin, and then again mix it up. But it depends yeah. also on the life cycle of where you are and what mm -hmm. type of strategy you have. So it, it's not a same formula all throughout. Is that correct? Yeah, it can, of course, like over the years, like the, it's like the strategy is gonna be adapting. So, mm -hmm. for example, at the very beginning, like we are, we haven't been focused like on profitability, but have been right. really focused on, on growth. Mm -hmm. uh, but then as like the, like the months and like the, like the time uh, evolves mm -hmm. slowly as you also scale like your, your business, like the unit economies improve and that can also like when, before selling at one price, you may be like not making any money. If you later with a scale do like things like your processes much better, mm. selling at the same price, you can be making money. And this is where I really think that your your profits should come, like mm. from you doing things on a, on a more efficient way and through a scale. Absolutely. Now, last question. What are your secret tools? To monitor pricing for a proper startup. Again, these are the things that you know we, we can all talk about the high level stuff. But you use tools that you know make sure that, that you're doing this right. Of course, from Excel or whatnot, or yeah, any online I, tool that people like. No, so actually, like for for 
pricing, like the only thing that we have is actually like an Excel model mm -hmm. in which we have like all the all the different variables to take okay. to take into account, mm -hmm. uh, like from from the cost of the goods, like to marketing, like to right. operations. But basically, we do like all the pricing with an with an Excel, so it's yeah. not that not that complex. Got it. So you just have to know your yeah. Excel formulas right away. Yeah. So study. but then but then. Yeah. Yeah, but then also, of course, we always keep an eye on what are the prices of everyone else mm. and, and what everyone else is is doing. Because for me, it's also very important, like to really keep like an eye on what like the whole market is is doing. Like to make yeah, sure yeah. that you that you are always if you really always want to be like the most affordable, you really want need to keep like this as an obsession and you need to uh, continuously like be monitoring it like to, to ensure that you that this is happening. There you go. Again, Saul, thank you very much. Mm -hmm. That was an amazing season finale for Hustle Share Season 3. But before I let you go, Saul, please invite people over to how they can reach you if they want to work with you in Flowers or, or again, Mini Mart, right? Um, where do yeah. they go and how do they do that? Well, they can reach me like pretty easily, like just or contacting me on LinkedIn or uh, sending like to contact at flowerstore.ph. If they ask for me, uh, it will reach me like the email. There you go. So you just got to reach out. <laughs> if you want to learn again, that was an amazing episode. Thank you very much. Yeah. But before Thank you very I let much you for go. Um, follow us on whatever podcast app you're listening to here on Spotify and whatnot uh, Apple Podcasts there's a lot more coming up especially for our season 4 which is we don't, we're not going to take a break this year we're going to go straight up in episode 90 onwards 100 we're going to have a lot more crazy hustlers coming up and again if we did say some jargon it's going to be in the show, show notes on hustleshare.com and if you want to be part of the community how we grow this you can go to the hustleshare community on Facebook and message us on the Hustleshare chatbot at m.me slash Hustleshare powered by chatbot.ph. Again, gracias, uh, Saul. Thank you, Roster, for, for really having me here. I appreciate it. Again, I'll see you guys in the next episode. Peace.